Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. I'm going to deal with one of those passages tonight that is um, very much a confusing passage. Um, and so hopefully the Lord will give you clarity tonight, I pray. Look at uh, verse 16. Now before we read verse 16, I, I've got to make a confession. Uh, last week I committed the cardinal sin for an expositor preacher. And you say, what are you talking about? Well, I cut the message out halfway into a sentence. <laughs> because verse 16 is a continuation of the previous sentence. It's one sentence all the way through verse 17. But I did it for a purpose because um, I wanted to look at verse 16 and 17 by themselves. Because if you put it together with what we've already looked at here in chapter 12, it'll begin to make more sense to you. Because look, remember what we looked at in chapter 12. We've seen the chastening of God as a privilege of His grace. And it was meant to be, it was written to the believers as a purpose of encouraging them. Um, because a lot of times we look at chastening as something that's not encouraging. But it was meant to be an encouraging word because through chastening they would know that they were children of God. And they would know that God loved them. And then we saw last week, if you're real, where in relation to the chastening of God, he says now, he gives us this exhortation, make your pathway straight. And then in verse 15, if you remember, he says, looking diligently, lest you fail the grace of God. And a root of bitterness. And remember I told you last week that bitterness doesn't mean bitterness towards other people, but in other words, a root of sin begins to build up in you. Now with that being said, look at verse 16, lest connecting, lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For you know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing. Now I'm going to be honest with you. That phrase right there, you would think that the next phrase is the most confusing. No, no. That phrase right there is the most confusing part of this passage. But I, I want to explain that here in just a little bit. Who would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected for, here's the reason, he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. Let's pray. Father, I pray you would use this time in our lives tonight for your honor, your glory, and your namesake. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's... Be seated. I want you to look at this passage with me. So as we continue this thought from the previous uh, uh, verses, and so not letting the grace of God fail in, in your life, in other words, not being not having allowing the grace of God, you're not walking in access or walking in the sufficiency of that grace, and, and all of a sudden you allow some things in your life that shouldn't be there. And if you continue to allow those things, then... Verse 16 comes into play. Less, less, there becomes that, or one becomes a fornicator or profane. I entitled this message, Unrepenting Repentance. And you say, what do you mean by that? Well, I'll explain it as we go through. But there is a form of repentance in which people seek for that's not repentance at all. And that's what you're going to find in this text tonight. 
So let me go through this with you just a moment. I want you to see first the caution against folly. He's used this term, failing the grace of God, in verse number 15. And then here he's dealing with that same mindset, that same thought, and he gives a caution. He says, don't allow yourself to fail the grace of God. Don't allow this root of bitterness to spring up to trouble you and therefore defile others, lest there be any fornicator or profane person. In other words, lest there be those around you or those near you that is a fornicator or profane. Because remember what we talked about last week, that we're to make sure that our paths are straight not only in relation to our fellowship with God, but in relation to our witness to others. And, and so he puts this together and he said, listen, don't allow things in your life whereby others are defiled lest there be a fornicator or a profane person in your midst. So in other words, if there are those around you that are Fornicators are profane, and I'll define those in a minute. He says you need to make sure that you're not allowing the grace of God to fail in your life. Or, as I told you last week, allowing the grace of God to not be sufficient or active in your life. And so, here's what we're going to deal with this morning, or tonight. The first thing is to avoid defilement. And this word fornicator has the idea of just what it says. Sexual immorality. In other words, you and I are to make sure that we are a witness to those around us and we're to avoid allowing things in our life that would excuse away a fornicator that is around us. Now, then he gives a second admonition. Disrespect. So not only defilement, but disrespect. This word profane, here's what it means. The word simply means to have conduct through which you treat spiritual things in a mindset of contempt. In other words, you do not consider or have any reverence or any awe towards spiritual things. The, the Greek word, we get the English phrase from this Greek word, outside of the camp or outside of the temple. And so what it's talking about is someone who has a heart or a mindset towards spiritual things where they have contempt towards it. In other words, they view it in a very low light. It's not something that is not only not priority in their life, it's something that really and truly is barely on the radar of their life. And therefore... They are without the camp or outside the temple, meaning that they're not saved. And so he says, if there are any of those around you, he said, avoid these things. Why? Because you and I must not hinder those around us. Now, here's what he does. He gives this caution, and then he gives a comparison. And this is a comparison to fear. Because here's the thing, if there's ever a time you don't want to be compared to someone, Esau is one of those people. How many of you agree today, you don't have anybody naming their children Judas? Well, guess what? You won't find anybody naming their children Esau either. 
Because Esau is a direct comparison to these two phrases that he gives in the beginning of this verse. A fornicator and profane. So now, let's look at this person, Esau. First thing you're going to find, he's a, he was a fleshly person. Now you say, well, preacher, I know the book of Genesis pretty good. And I don't remember anywhere in the book of Genesis it talks about his sexual immorality or his fornication. Well, there are a couple places in Genesis whereby a lot of Bible scholars draw this, but I'm going to give you a physical and a spiritual example of what I'm talking about. From a physical side, here's what Esau did. How many of you agree God didn't want Israel or those that are his to marry outside of the people? In other words, to marry outside of those that are his. Well, Esau married two Hittites, which are Canaanites. And not only that, but it the Bible says in Genesis, it very much grieved his parents. And in response to the grieving of his parents, he went and married Ishmael's daughter. And so in other words, here was a man that gave himself to those that were outside of the faith. And he allowed himself to be lined up with those outside of the faith. So there was a physical reason why this term could be used for Esau. But let me give you a spiritual. If you go to the book of Jeremiah, you find out in the book of Jeremiah that God referred to Israel as those that had committed adultery against him being God. In other words, he's talking about spiritual adultery. You've turned your back away from me. You've turned it to idols. In other words, you have literally gave yourself to those things that are not me who you are made to be one with. And so there is spiritual adultery. Then there are physical adultery. So which one fits Esau? Well, here's what I would tell you. Yes and yes. I believe that either one of them could fit Esau to a T. Marrying outside of those that have the realm of faith, and at the same time, if there is anything we know about Esau, Esau didn't just turn his back on God, Esau trampled on the covenant of God. And so, the writer of Hebrews is saying, you need to be cautious. You need to be cautious about your path, you need to be cautious about how you're living, how you're walking, lest there be others defiled, lest there be those around you, like Esau. And this is what he's saying here. And so this is the fleshly person of Esau. Now what's amazing is Esau was trained in Isaac and Rebekah's home. He was trained in the faith, and yet he chose a life that went against God. Even in relation to his training, to his upbringing. And when I say a fleshly person, here's what I mean. Esau was all about Esau. And that's what I mean by this. Because here's the reality. You're not going, someone is not going to have a disrespect towards God. 
if they're not all about themselves. One will lead to the other. And what happens even as believers, listen to me, even as believers, you and I can take a very casual approach towards God or to the things of God, and the reason we do is because we think too much of what we want instead of what God desires. I mean, listen, you, you prove it out and what people do with their time. I mean, you look at what people do with their time. How much time does a person in a general day or week really allow themselves to be in communion and fellowship with God? But see, we're free. We can choose to do what we want to do. I live in a free country. I'm a free person. I can do what I want to do. Well, listen. If you have a high view of God and you have a high view of your salvation and you have a high view of your relationship with the Lord, you will choose Him over yourself most of the time. And you say, preacher, why not every time? Because none of us will be sinless perfect. And so whenever we take a casual approach towards God and the things of God, like Esau, we are a fleshly person. Now, notice the second thing that he uses here as a comparison. He uses this phrase. He says in verse 16, And Esau, who for one morsel of meat, sold his birthright. So not only do you see a fleshly person, but a fleshly pursuit. Here's what you're always going to find. Someone who is about themselves will always pursue the things that they believe will benefit their physical, not their spiritual. You'll always find yourself drawing to the things that appease your physical. Because when you're about yourself, your physical becomes your priority. What do you mean by that, preacher? Simply this. What I enjoy becomes preeminent. What makes me happy becomes preeminent. What makes me joyful becomes preeminent. So therefore, what happens? We choose the spiritual when there's nothing physical that I want to do. Then I'll choose the spiritual. Well, can I tell you, Christianity is the other way around. Spiritual always becomes before physical. And by the way, we do all these things that please our physical to bring joy. But isn't it amazing? The only one that can bring joy is the joy of the Lord. And so we look everywhere else for what only Jesus could do. And so this was Esau. So what does this have to do 
with him taking one morsel of meat and selling his birthright. Well, here's what it has to do with. Esau chose, in a moment of hunger, Esau chose that the pursuit of his physical well-being and his physical happiness and his physical sufficiency was far more important than the spiritual covenant in which he could have inherited and he could have enjoyed. For one meal, listen, he didn't get a year's worth of coupons out back. He got one meal. And by the way, it was a piece of bread and lentil soup. And one meal, that's what it means here, one single meal was more important to him than everything about his spiritual heritage. And you say, preacher, I just don't think that's even possible. Well... It is, and it happens every single day. And here's what Esau did. Now, you have to understand, he had a higher respect for his substance than he did for eternity. Pleasing Esau was more important to him than be pleasing to the Lord. I talk to people all the time, folks. Listen to me. I talk to people all the time about decisions they make. And 99.999% of the time, when people make wrong decisions, it's because they think that's what will please them the most. But I want to tell you something, folks. God didn't save me and God didn't save you to go out in your own energy and try to please yourself. God saved me and God saved you that the only pleasure we would have would be in the Lord Jesus Christ. And when He is our pleasure, here's what's going to happen. A lot of things you give yourself to that can be enjoyable in your flesh, God will let you enjoy some of those things as long as they don't go against Him and His Word. But at the same time, He becomes the central fact of our pleasure. And when He becomes the central fact of our pleasure, then everything else will become joyful to you. As long as it's in the realm of being consistent with holiness. See, this is what Esau. He had a fleshly pursuit. Why? Because he was a fleshly person. But I want you to see one other thing. His fleshly passion. The idea here, for one morsel of meat, he sold his birthright. I want you to go back to Genesis just a minute with me. In Genesis chapter 25, I want you to get the jest of Esau's mindset here. Okay? So Esau had come back from a journey, and he was very hungry. Now I'm going to skip down to verse 32 for time's sake. And Esau's talking to Jacob. 
And Esau said, Behold, I am at the point to die. And what profit shall this birthright do to me? And Jacob swore, Swear me this day, and be swear unto me. And he sold his birthright unto Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and a pottage of lentils. And he did eat and drink and rose up and went his way. Thus Esau, now Lord tell God terms it, despised his birthright. Now we think, well, wait a minute. Jacob conned him. Was Jacob a con man? He was. But it was Esau that chose to sell his birthright. And God said of Esau's choice that when he sold his birthright, here's the picture. It's as if Esau cast it on the ground, stomped on it, and spat on it. Because for Esau in that moment, a bowl of lentil soup and bread was far more appealing than the birthright that he would have received. Now I'll get into what all that would be in just a moment. But do you understand here the passion in which Esau had? Was it for his birthright? Was it for the heritage that would come from Abraham, Isaac? It was that I could be physically satisfied. Now I want you to hear what I'm about to say. You say, well, preacher, if I was at the point of death like Esau, I might have done the same thing. I pray you wouldn't have. You say, what do you mean? Well, let me ask you a question. If you are the inheritance, if you're the one that's going to inherit the covenant promise of God, Do you really believe God's going to let you die because you don't have something to eat? You see, that didn't even cross Esau's mind. God had no part of Esau's way of thinking. Now, I'm laying the groundwork here because I want you to understand fully exactly what Esau did. So we see here the caution... Then we see the comparison. But now I want you to see this. To despise this birthright. Here's what it means. It means the blessing that God gave to Abraham, the covenant God gave to Abraham, handed down to Isaac, and now Isaac would hand down to one of his children. Isaac was to hand this down to his firstborn. His firstborn was Jacob. You say, well, God didn't God reverse that in the mother's womb? I'll get to that in a minute. But God was, Isaac was to hand it down to his firstborn because the firstborn was the one after Isaac would die that would take authority over the family. And the firstborn would not only receive the inheritance, but a double portion of the inheritance. And part of the inheritance was the covenant that God made with Abraham. And when When Esau sold his birthright, he literally turned his back on everything that he could have had in God. And Esau knew 
Don't be fooled. Esau knew that in doing that, he would no longer be even treated as part of God's people. Because this was a cardinal sin when it came to Israel. And yet he willingly done it anyway. So here's what I want you to hear. Your flesh will take you down a road you do not want to go down. All right. So now let's look at the third thing. The cost of forfeiture. Isn't it amazing that sin costs? Look with me at verse 17. Because here to me is the most confusing statement in these verses. For you know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing. Now, we know what happened at his birth. The Bible says that God loved Jacob, hated Esau. And we know that at birth, God had determined that Jacob would be who God deemed to be the inheritance of the covenant. You find this statement about Jacob and Esau in the book of Malachi. You find it in Romans chapter 9. It's one of the platform passages for Calvinists who say that God is predetermined that Jacob would be saved and Esau would be lost. Well, I'm here to tell you it has nothing to do with that at all. But here's what it does have to do with. So in this statement here, this statement is one of the greatest statements to disprove a Calvinist mindset towards Jacob and Esau. Because it clearly says here that it was possible, it was possible for Esau to inherit the blessing. You say, then why did God do what he did at birth? Because how many agree God knew what Esau was going to do before Esau ever come out of that womb? And how many agree the covenant God made with Abraham was a cut covenant, meaning that God covenanted with himself, and it didn't matter what Abraham did, it didn't matter what Isaac did, and it didn't matter what Esau or Jacob did. In other words, God said, I will fulfill this covenant, and man has no part in it. In making it fulfilled. So God knew before Esau was, remember, Everything with God is what? Now. So in other words, when Esau sold his birthright, I promise you, God wasn't in heaven wringing his hands and going, Oh no, I didn't see this one coming. What am I going to do now? God knew it before it was ever going to take place. And so God deemed from the very birth that Jacob would be treated as the firstborn. Because God knew what Esau would do. Does that mean Esau had an opportunity just like Jacob? Yes. God didn't force Esau to sell his birthright. He willingly sold his birthright. Now, this is the reality concerning the blessing. 
But notice the rejection of the blessing. For you know that afterwards, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected. See, this is what makes this text so impactful to me. Because this was what was laying before Esau. And yet it was this that Esau said, I want no part of it. You say, well, preacher, what did he say he wanted no part of? The Abrahamic covenant involved so many things. Not only did it involve Israel as God's people and the blessings that God would give Israel. But here's the part that to me is the most piercing thing that Esau gave up. The covenant blessing. Abraham, Isaac, then Jacob was to be the covenant of God bringing the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ through that lineage. And Esau stomped on it. Said, I'd rather have lentil soup and a piece of bread. This is the magnitude of Esau's choice. Well, notice fourthly the consequences of failure. Now watch this. For he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. All right, I want to deal with this phrase because this is the phrase that most people are confused about. Here's what most people believe this phrase is saying. Esau tried to repent and God wouldn't let him repent. Well, I'm here to tell you that's not what this is saying at all. So what is it saying? Well, let's break it down. I want you to see it. The first thing we're going to look at is Esau's desire. How many of you agree that if Esau saw something with tears, he had a deep desire to receive it? You find a couple of things here. Esau's emotion with tears. In other words, here's what I'm trying to say to you. Whatever this verse is talking about, this was very personal and emotional to Esau. This was not a casual desire. This was not a, well, I'm going to ask, but if I don't receive it, it's okay type desire. Esau was totally wrapped up emotionally into this desire with tears. Matter of fact, you're going to find out in just a minute when we go back to Genesis, he begged for what he desired. But not only Esau's emotion, but Esau's expectation. 
Esau believed he deserved this blessing. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 27. I want you to see this. Genesis chapter 27, verse number 34. Isaac has just given the blessing, the covenant promise to Jacob. Watch what it says. And when Esau heard the words of his father, he cried with a great and exceeding bitter cry. And said unto his father, Bless me, even me also, O my father. And he said, Thy brother came with subtlety and taken away thy blessing. And he said, Is not he rightly named Jacob? For he has supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright. And behold, now he has taken away my blessing. And he said, Hast thou not reserved a blessing from me? And Isaac answered and said unto Esau, Behold, I have made him thy Lord and all his brethren, and I have given him for servants and with corn and wine, and I have sustained him, and what shall I do now unto thee, my son? And Esau said unto his father, Hast thou but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and what? So what was he seeking in tears? Was it repentance from what he did? Or was it for a blessing that he's without? So in other words, here was Esau's desire, his expectation. I deserve to be blessed. And it was so passionate to Esau. He begged, cried, wept. Give me what I deserve. Dad, give me something. This was Esau's desire. Now I want you to look second at the consequences. Esau's deficiency. There was a missing element in his brokenness. And you say, what was it? He was broken over what he did not have that he wanted. But he was never broken over what he did. You remember the verses we just read? He said, Jacob has taken my birthright. No, Esau, you sold your birthright. Not one moment in time did Esau ever get broken over selling his birthright. You'll find nowhere in Genesis that Esau went to Isaac and said, Dad, listen, I messed up. I mean, listen, I was at a point of weakness. I wasn't thinking, and I sold my birthright. Please forgive me. Oh, please forgive me. Is 
See, here's what a lot of people do. They get caught and they get broken. And then they go and make a profession of faith thinking that'll help them from alleviating the consequences of what they got caught. Let me tell you what true repentance is. True repentance is you repent even when you're never caught. Esau never, ever saw his sin. Not only the missing element in his brokenness, but the missing element in his blame. You remember verse 36, he said, Jacob, Jacob, he took away my birthright. And so what's one of the things your flesh will always tend to do? How many of you agree it's much easier to see somebody else's sin than look at your own sin? Now, was Jacob innocent in that he was had a part of trickery? He was not innocent. But if you'll notice something about the text that we've been reading, it wasn't God putting his finger on Jacob's sin as the preeminent sin. But it was God saying Esau despised his birthright. And so the missing element in his brokenness, was he was broken over the wrong thing. And the missing element in his blame is he was blaming the wrong person. So preacher, you haven't told us yet, what does it mean he found no place of repentance, though it sought with carefully with tears? Here's what it means. Because of what Esau did, how many of you agree Isaac had already given the birthright to Jacob? Here's a, here's a profound statement for you. Y'all ready for this? Y'all sitting down, say amen. You couldn't, defy, the, you couldn't divide the birthright. And Esau put Isaac in a place where Isaac could not change his mind concerning who had the birthright. He'd already given it to Jacob. So the repentance here, find no place of repentance, was not about Esau. It was about Esau went to Isaac, and Isaac could not turn or could not change his mind concerning who he gave the blessing to. Because Esau wasn't trying to repent anyway. The only way this could apply to Esau is Esau was really trying to repent. But Esau didn't care about repenting, about his sin. All he wanted to do is Isaac to repent of giving the blessing to Jacob, and he wanted Isaac to give him something. Now, a Calvinist would have a duck over this. Because a Calvinist, here's what a Calvinist is going to say. Well, this is proof. That, I mean, Esau sought repentance. God wouldn't give it to him. He wanted to repent, but God said no because God predetermined he couldn't be saved. 
I got news for you. That's heresy. Y'all love me, say amen. amen. You say, preacher, why don't you just say what you mean? I'm trying to. This had nothing to do with Esau's repentance. Esau wasn't even trying to repent. Esau wanted Jacob to change his mind. Well, let me show you the last thing. Esau's discovery. Here was Esau's discovery. There was no place in which Jacob could change his mind. No matter how emotional he got about it. Here's what he discovered. that he was going to have to live with the consequences of his sin. Now, how would Esau's story changed if Esau would have truly repented over his sin? Only God knows that. We don't know that answer. But here's what we do know. God allowed Esau to sleep in the bed that he made for himself. And Esau discovered that God was a holy God. And God was serious about sin. One of the great, I believe, missing truths in Scripture or missing truths for people concerning Scripture is this. People do not realize how serious God is when it comes to sin. You say, well, preacher, how can I find out how serious God is when it comes to sin? Look at Calvary. There's many times in the Old Testament and sometimes even in the New Testament where you find God doing this very thing with others. How many of you agree Israel? had a clear direction of God to go to the promised land. Trust Him. I've already given you the land. It's already yours. Just inherit what I've given you. And Israel said, oh, no. No. God, we can't do that. I mean, there's too many obstacles in the way. I mean, there's just, God, there's some things you just haven't thought about. We can't do it. God never said they could do it anyway. God said he already has. And you remember what happened? Very obscure passage that we missed. You remember when, when they sent the spies into Canaan and they came back and they had a Baptist business meeting and voted 10 to 2 not to go? Are y'all hearing me say amen? You say, preacher, are you against business means? I am not. Are you against voting? I am not. 
You say, well, preacher, why'd you say that? Because God is. Hey, we don't live in a democracy. We live in a theocracy. And you say, preacher, we vote here. We do. Are you paid to change that? I didn't say that. Are y'all hearing me say amen? All right. I've already got myself in trouble. I can see some of you are already stupid. I mean, your, your blood pressure just went up 40 points. I can see it in your face. All right, listen. But when those spies came back and Israel voted not to go, God spoke to Moses. Read Deuteronomy. You'll read it. God spoke to Moses. He said, all right. He said, let them go back out in the wilderness. So Moses went to the people and said, all right, God said we got to go back out in the wilderness. Oh, wait a minute. We repent. We went. We're ready to go. We'll go. God said, no. You're not going now. You can lay in the bed in which you made because you still don't trust me. And God had to destroy a whole generation, raise up a whole new generation. And he took that generation across. Y'all hear me say amen. Oh, listen. Unrepenting repentance. Repentance is not seeking what you lost because of your sin. Repentance is relinquishing control, responding in a confession and brokenness, turning from what you did because the Spirit of God pricked your heart. And if God blesses you, that's just icing on the cake. Because I got news for you, folks. How many of you in here say? All right. The other 60% of you, I'll talk to you after church, okay? Because <laughs> only about 30% of you raised your hand. All right. How many of you in here say? If God never done anything else for you the rest of your life, but saved you, could you be satisfied? I'm glad God continuously pours His mercy and grace out on us. I'm glad God provides our needs according to His riches and glory. I'm, I'm glad God is a, is a, is a miracle-working God. I, I'm glad God does all those things. But we're not to live our Christian life for what God does for us. We're to live our Christian life for the glory of God, not for the benefit of us. Y'all got it? Say amen. Father, I thank you. I praise you for your word. Use it for your glory in Jesus' name. And all God's children said,